0: So John had been talking about who God is and talking about this light, that God in him is this light, and in him there is no darkness. And we talked about that light and what it does and how when, you're, when that light is there, that light is freeing because it's, there's nothing hidden. It's exposed And we talked about different ways and different experiences that we have in life and different people we come in contact with and things that we do in which it just seems like God shows up. Matthew 25, Jesus talks about whenever we serve those on the margins, the poor, the broken, those in prison, those things that we end up serving Jesus. And what we learn from that scripture is that the biggest promise there is that we'll always find Jesus there. And that light ends up something happens in those moments. That's why when you choose on one day, To um, not do something for you and and instead choose to do it for somebody else who's in need. That's always this, it's like, wow, that feels right. There's something to that. We're encountering the presence of God, but also in that moment, it shines a light on where we are and it shines a light into us in our hearts and our minds. And and, um, so he's talking about this God, and he's making the connection between who he is and who we are and who we're not at times. Um, and then it goes into uh, verse 12, uh, 1 John chapter 2. And he, he literally starts it with here's the reason I'm writing this. Okay. So let's pray, and then we'll read that scripture and we'll look at it uh, real briefly and close our time together with communion. Um, Father, just our, you are, I sing that last song, and, and that's our desire that we would meet you here. Yeah. You're always welcome here. I pray, God, that the reason we gather here is not. Um, too selfish i pray that it's because we want to encounter you so god i i just pray that your presence would be here and that you would take these these words that we're reading that we're studying and that that you would illuminate uh, our own lives and and our our agendas our heart our mind that you would just show us something you would draw us closer to you and that we would we would see you um, more clearly today And that you would strip away um, all the lies, all the false condemnation. You would strip away all the things that lead to arrogance and pride. And you would strip away the things that make us want to go, oh, yeah, that person over there, they need this. And instead, we would just really look into our own hearts. And so we give you that freedom. You're invited. Um, Father, your spirit, you're invited here. And we ask that you would move and that you would lead us, that we would meet you here. In Jesus' name, amen. Verse 12 says, I'm writing this to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. Verse 13, I'm writing to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you young men because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, dear children, because you know the father. I write to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you young men because you are strong and the word of God lives in you and you have overcome the evil one. So if we remember, as we're picking up First John, we remember that uh, he's uh, John is addressing some issues in the church. We, by the way, he wrote it. It seemed like people there were some false teachers who were, you know, teaching about some, maybe some theology, some bad doctrines, some bad theology. He was correcting them. He was coming back and saying, "Hey, this is the most important thing." I think that maybe because he was so focusing so much on love and how we treat one another in this in these three letters, um, that that it's possible they were focusing so much on theology and doctrine, and maybe so much that it was they were changing the doctrine to suit how they were living instead of vice versa. Does that make sense? Um, we talk about that, the difference between using Scripture to defend your faith or your life instead of using Scripture to define your faith and your life. And that's a struggle, I think, in little ways we all have. We, we keep coming back to. You. And I think he's addressing this. And, and so he's coming back here, and he is... Um, telling us why he's writing these things and he's correcting him and he's coming back and he's saying, hey, um, you remember that time when, when this seemed so clear and you understood it? Remember that time when it was very pure? Remember that time when you were like, oh my goodness, I want to give my life to this? Remember that moment where you're like, God is so real and tangible in my life right now? He goes, you remember that? Yeah, that. Can we be drawn back to that? Can we find that place again? I think that's what he's saying. Why is that so important? After he's talking about this light, this new way of living, all of this, why does he have to come back here? Why is this so important for him to say, "Hey, children, remember this. Young men, this. Fathers, this." Why would he? Why is this necessary? Anything come to mind? Huh? Yeah, maybe, maybe so. I think about the cycles of faith and the cycles of life and how, you know, faith is like this, right? It's like, oh, I remember as a youth pastor, I remember we'd come back from summer camp and we'd have the summer camp reports and the kids would get on stage. And they're like, we're never coming down from this mountaintop experience. And all the parents are back there laughing. <laughs> yeah, you are. Maybe the trough will be a little higher than the last trough and the next mountain will be a little higher than the next mountain. But there we go through cycles, don't we? That this is a process that life is hard. I think the most dangerous thing is for someone to come to faith in Christ thinking that now my life's going to be perfect and nothing's ever going to be messed up again. Because we visit this, these cycles are going on. What else? Anything else come to mind? You ever have that? Think back on your life. You ever have that that experience where you're like, okay, this is it. Right now I'm the strongest I've ever been in my faith. God seems to be more tangible right now than ever and it's going to change me forever. Do you ever have that? Usually it comes in a couple different forms. Usually it either comes in a point where we've messed up so bad and God's grace has covered us so well, so amazingly, beautifully that we're so deeply broken, and and that it's just God's presence is so thick. We're so thankful. We're like, oh, never again, God. Or. It's just a moment where God's just goodness is just being revealed or something's happening and, and, and that's going on. And you go, I'm never going to forget this. I'm always going to draw on this. And then now we get in a darker time or a, a, a kind of a, a, a rut in our life and, and whatever. I think what he's saying is, is that because life does go through cycles and we do go through experiences, that every now and then we just got to stop and we got to draw back on what we've experienced in God's faithfulness. I think sometimes we make the mistake of judging God or coming to an opinion of God on what we don't know instead of what we actually know about him. The fear of the unknown or what we forget instead of what he's been proven time after time after time. And I think he's drawing us back and he's calling us towards that. Um, A couple friends of ours, Mark and Ginger are here. We went to college with them. And um, I think about the amazing failures In my life over the last 42 years, especially back in the college years and high school years and young adult, I think about God's goodness and his grace and his faithfulness. I think John is challenging us to draw from those experiences, to remember God's goodness and his grace. And he did it this way, broke it into three things. He said, children, dear children, and and if you remember correctly, a lot of the, the apostles when they wrote the, uh, the letters they wrote to dear children, it wasn't necessarily speaking to infants. It was talking about young in the faith most of the time. But he says, "As children, I want you to remember something. Don't just remember your sins, remember your sins forgiven. He's taking us through something, all right? Remember your sins forgiven, not just your sins, as a child. And then remember, you young men, because you have overcome... And then it goes in, it says, now remember those of you who are fathers because you know. And many times it's talking about spiritual fathers. You remember those experiences, remember God's faithfulness, remember his goodness. I don't know where you are today in your walk. Maybe there's some uncertainty. Maybe it's in your family. Maybe it's in your profession. Maybe it's spiritually. Maybe I don't know where it is. But I think this is a call and a reminder, Father's Day or not, to us to remember God's faithfulness. To draw on that, not on the season where we're in the, maybe in the desert. A couple of lessons from this first part. I think first one is, is when it, it, it's reminding us that when we come to times when we don't see him or we don't feel him, or we're just like, "God, where are you right now?" to draw back on those experiences, where he was very, very real, and I think also to allow those experiences to inform your now and your future. We know he was correcting some false teaching. And he's saying, hey, what you know about God should inform what you don't know. But then also, he's, he's reminding us this thing. There's a scripture uh, that, that Paul wrote, or this letter that Paul wrote, and he told us to... Um, to remember to work out our salvation, that he works out his salvation with much, with much fear and trembling. And if you were to first look at that, you would think, okay, you know, when you get saved, there's all this work, and there's all this fear, and there's all this stuff, but you get past that, and everything's okay. But what he's telling us is that there's something that God is trying to accomplish in our lives, in our journey, that it begins at salvation, and that in that, there's this working out of all that Christ is doing in us that just takes time. But the key is, is, to stop, is to not stop working and, and to not give up and to continue. In fact, he wrote in his letter to Philippians, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with much fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you and will act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Jump down to verse 15. It says, Then you will shine. We're using this talking about light. Then you will shine among the generations like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. So this is the lens. He says, here's what I'm writing you. Remember this. And then he moves into what's next. This is the lens in which he writes on not loving the world. And again, I think this is another passage of Scripture that sometimes we use out of context. I used to look at the Scripture and think, okay, here's how you know whether or not someone else is not saved. Or secretly why I worry if I really am. And it's, it's not what the scripture is, but it says this, verse 15, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father but from the world. Verse 17, The world and its desires are, pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. Here's what I know this is not saying. This is not saying if you sin, you're not saved. Okay, let me let you off the hook. It's not what that's saying. It's not saying that if there's anything in your life off base or anything in your life that is opposite, it's not saying that you are not under the grace of Christ. That's not what it's saying. All right? But what is it saying? What does it mean when it says, not to love the world, or what does it mean to love the world? Anybody have an idea? Don't be a quiet bunch today. Okay. Yeah. That's good. Good. So you're saying that maybe there's a there's a focus on that we're supposed to think about the journey more than that we've arrived and that this is our home and that this is our place, like being aliens to this place. And maybe that short circuits that. What else? Yeah, right. Yeah, it does. Right. So Jesus, he pretty much came and just fought for prestige and power and, right? I mean, that was one of the problems. He didn't. He just, he didn't. That wasn't his way. In fact, that was one of the problems why people struggled with him so much because they wanted a leader who led like that. Instead, he was a servant leader. He literally laid down his life for others. What else? Did I see a hand raised over here? perspective go ahead so the perspective of where those things come from whether we achieved them or god they were a gift of god or or whatever i wonder also we think about that as going towards then where you find your identity is it in your achievements of we accomplish this on who we are or do we understand our identity in Christ in humility? Go ahead. Do you have something over here? Material, it's talking about materialism? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So temporary. anything this world can up i got to achieve that, i got to be and it's all because you my there, not the Mm-hmm. Right, right. so there's a continuing theme of this. These things are temporary. These things we thought were this important or should take this place in our lives, but the reality was it's this. And that's a, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go forward and then I'm going to come back because really that's verse 16. It says, for everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, which we could break down but it's pretty self-explanatory. It's pretty general. All the things we're talking about, it says, comes not from the Father, but from the world. It's temporary. We get sucked into the lie, you know? And then we place our value on those things, and then they end up falling short. And so there's a reason. So I think it's all of this stuff. It really is. But what does it mean to love it? To love it. You know, in Scripture, the word love, there's um, there's at least four different kinds of love like you see the word love and it should be translated in in different ways you have um you have a different where did i even write down my notes we you have different kinds of love you have divine love which is like this godly love this benevolent goodwill divine love you have brotherly love which is self-explanatory you have like a family love which is self-explanatory and then you have like a romantic love which i'm not going to explain um this word for love is closer to the interpretation of romantic love than it is any other love. It's not just a brotherly or whatever. In fact, this word for love here is the same one used in the scripture where Jesus says, husbands, love your wives. And, it, and it's the word that means to take pleasure in and to, to, to long for, to esteem. So it's talking about there's this things of the world and the position and the place in which we allow it to hold in our lives. The place in which we put it. All right? Well, what does it mean, this world? This world, the the word world literally there's cosmos, okay? And it's not talking about the earth itself, but it's more talking about the ordered system, the worldly affairs. And and if you were to really break it down, it means adorning. With worldly affairs, which the next scripture, we are, the next verse we already see, it comes from the Father, not from the world. Or wait, does everything of pride of life does not come from the Father, it comes from the world. So it's talking about this desire, this place to be adorned with the things of the world. Not just jewelry and all that stuff, but that it saturates who we are and we gain our identity from those things. Instead of the things of God. And, and those things are lies. Okay? These things. Um, we're asked often, you know, a couple, handful of years ago, Jen and I did an experiment with our family. She wrote a book on it, 7 Um, in which we did once a month, we picked a thing, whether it was money or clothing or food or, or media or whatever. And we kind of did a spirit of a fast, some kind of fast related to that thing for a month each. And when we came out of it, there were many lessons that we learned because people always ask, well, what did you, what stuck from seven? They always ask that. What's stuck from seven? What did you learn from seven? I could go through each month and go, my attitude and my perspective changed about a lot of things for each month. Well, we don't, she didn't write it from the point of being an expert on it. This was an experiment for us. We were trying to learn, you know, about these things. And so it did change the way we ate. It did change the way we spend our money. It did change a lot of things. But I think the main theme over all of it was it changed the way in which I valued things in my life. Because I was able to back up for a moment and look at things, and, and I didn't realize the place they held. When it was taken away from me, I realized, ooh, that was way too important to me. And it changed the perspective. And what I realized where there are some things, it's not bad to have certain things. It's not depending on where, you know, there's not, some things aren't necessarily bad, but the value in what you put on it is when the perspective starts getting off. And I think that's what Jesus is talking about. And scripture's talking about when it talks about kingdom things. Remember that scripture we talk about it all the time. Back when Jesus was talking to Peter, and he said, um, and Peter revealed, he says, "I know who you are. You're the Son of God. You're the Christ. You're the Messiah." And he said, "Blessed are you. This wasn't revealed to you by man. This was revealed to you by my Father." And Jesus said, "Here's what's going to happen. I'm going to build my church. He says, and I will give you the keys of the kingdom." And here's what he said about the kingdom. He said, "In this kingdom, the keys of the kingdom, we do one of two things. We either um, we lock things. We." We bind them, and it says the things that we bind on earth, the worldly things, that we bind and we hold on to, they're bound in heaven. They're bound for the kingdom. But those things that we hold loosely, the things that we unlock, they, they are unlocked in the, in the kingdom. The place in which we put, do we hold it on? Does it give us value? Do we make it more important in our life than we should? Or are we releasing and we're trusting God and we're leaning on his understanding, not, not ours? So, learning that maybe some of these things were idols in my life, I don't know, probably. But what I've realized is more than anything is that there was a misplaced affection for those things. And when it's misplaced, it's from one thing to another. So, what do these things draw our affection from? From God. Who else? From people? Like who? Maybe the least of these. Who else? Maybe our own family, our own children, our own husbands, our own wives. It's misplaced affection. Completely. All right. Do not love the world. Do not hold in high esteem. Do not long for the world. This order, this adorning of worldly affairs... If anyone loves the world, the love for the Father is not in them. Now, I don't do this often because I don't want to raise questions about the interpretation of Scripture. But this verse is NIV. It's a translation, not a transliteration. So if this is the one verse that I look at, and I prefer the other versions. Because if you go back to the original Greek, that word for is not in there. So if I look at the love for the Father is not in, in them, it makes it sound like we don't love God. If you love all this, stuff, there's no way you can love God too. And I just look at all of the theology that I've ever studied, and I've realized that I'm a sinner, and I mess up a lot. And Jesus said that he came to save sinners, not for the righteous. And it doesn't make sense to me that based on me messing up, that I can't love God. And But really, the other translation, you look at it, it's just, it, it says... Uh, the father 's love is not in them, meaning that that maybe we are not fully and this is a different kind of love. this is a divine love, a love, a benevolence, a good will, um, literally it means a love feast, so that maybe i 'm not there yet so it 's exposing this thing that maybe i 'm not there yet to fully value the thing that God fully values and loves and esteems and is dire, desiring there 's still a lot of flesh on this on these bones, you know what i 'm saying. So as if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. And then it goes on, as we mentioned, for everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, the pride of life comes not from the Father but of the world. Essentially this, Jesus taught at Matthew 6, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve, specifically in this moment, speaking of God and money. Verse 17, the world and its desires pass away. You guys brought that up. But whoever does the will of the Father, of will of God lives forever. I go back to the scripture. It says, fathers, I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. Um, Jesus taught Matthew 6, do not store up yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal for where your treasure is that your heart will also be. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. We always close our time with communion. Um, we're going to do that today as well. Um, I think this is just a reminder. Verse 17, the world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. Um, Jen talked about the will of God a handful of weeks ago and said it's, sometimes it's really wonderful to, if you replace the word will with desire. I've also heard it been taught as dream, God's dream. Whoever does the will, the dream of God lives forever. His desire is that we might know him. Ultimately, his desire is that we might know him through Christ and Christ alone. That we would understand that it's not of our ability and our checking the boxes and going through the motions. Even if you showed up on church on Father's Day, right? Um, It's just through his sacrifice.